0: 200 turkeys and uh, on Thursday this auditorium had at least this many people in here and we gave away food to over 200 I think it was 226 families here Uh, we had 30 or 40 people here from the church helping out and uh, it was a great day and so anybody that has been involved in that um, you guys have done a good job anybody that helped contribute so that we could buy those turkeys, so you could buy the stuff for, for Christmas time um, a good thing happened on Thursday and I know that a lot of us work and are not able to uh, participate in that ministry but people put a lot of good time and energy and effort into that and it really was uh, a good day as we helped out the community for people that, um, that don't have the money to buy food uh, the second thing is that uh, this weekend, we have some of our young people that are away at a youth retreat, and um, so that's where Adam is, and some of our teenagers down there. They asked me to be the speaker, and so there were about 50 people down in Altus. Uh, I learned that's a long ways away from here, and, uh, but it was, it was a good weekend. My voice is a little bit gone because of that. I wasn't expecting that to happen, um, but it was it a was good time. We talked about having good stuff in our lives. We need to have um, good things in. If we have good stuff in our life, then then good stuff comes out. But on the opposite side, if if we fill our lives full of nasty stuff, then wicked comes out. And so our our attention was focused on the fruits of the Spirit. Uh, So we talked a lot about that, had some good ping pong battles. Uh, We played this awesome game called Smash. It's kind of a volleyball-type game where you, sit in a, you stand in a circle and you, you, spy, or you, you pop, toss the ball. Anybody that messes up, they have to sit in the middle. And then uh, every so often you try and spike the ball on them. It's called smash. Now the kids love it because there's like this element of danger in there. What they don't know is that the adults love that game even more. Because you know that one that always gets on your nerve? Well, then you have you're like set me up, set me up. (laughs) It's a fun game. Um, We played that for about three hours, Uh, but it was good. They're going to be traveling back this afternoon, so if you um, spend some time in prayer for them this afternoon, give them a a safe journey back. It was a good time. Last week, uh, we started a sermon series, and uh, this sermon series is kind of going up the next month or so and each week we're taking one of the prophecies from the book of Matthew, the first few chapters about Jesus's birth. We take one of those prophecies and we go back to when it was originally spoken, originally said and written down. What was happening at that time? And then we use that to launch back into Matthew and see how that prophecy was fulfilled when Jesus was born. And so last week, if you remember, um, for those of us that were here, it was a smaller Sunday. We looked at Matthew chapter 1, verse 22 and 23. And it said, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken through the prophet, that being Isaiah. It said, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. And so we, we launched back to Isaiah, and Isaiah the prophet came to King Ahaz Because King Ahaz was about to um, be attacked. And so Isaiah was there to to reaffirm and say, Ahaz, put your trust in God. You don't have to worry. These kings are going to go by the wayside because they're not following God. And we learned that Ahaz, instead of putting his trust fully in God, decided to make a pact with Assyria, a country that didn't follow God at all. And uh, Judah survived. Then they had to pay tribute to this king, and it hurt Judah for many, many years. Today, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 2. So go ahead and turn there. In this chapter, uh, we'll find these men called wise men or magi. They, um, we don't know a whole lot about them. It could be that they were uh, astronomers of some kind. Uh, It could be that they... um, That they were uh, they were wise men of some some kind from the east. Where did they come from? We don't know exactly, but they traveled a long ways to be there, and they brought some gifts for the birth of this new king. Some of it was not very cheap. When you talk about bringing gold, so they had some money to bring as well. Um, We have King Herod. He's in charge of this land right now. He's known as Herod the Great. Like many rulers. He was not a very nice guy. He put to death uh, his wife, three sons, mother-in-law, brother-in-law, uncle. He wasn't a very good guy. But if you live in the time when of kings and it gets passed on to other family members, how do you secure your kingship? You get rid of the competition. And he was pretty good at that. That's who's in charge right now. And so that's where we find uh, this this account taking place. In a little town of of Bethlehem in Judea. Bethlehem was a small town, about 300 people. It was also the place where King David was born. And so we pick up in chapter 2, verse 1. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. And when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him, In Bethlehem of Judea. For so it was written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country. So at this point, two things. One, we're going to launch back, turn to Micah. That's where this prophecy is from. Micah chapter 5. We're going to take a look at what was going on then. And then we'll use that to fill in the rest of the story here. So Micah chapter 5. Micah also is somebody that we don't know a whole lot about, only what what we find here in uh, in this book and then one or two verses from somewhere else. But we're going to read this first verse here in Micah chapter one, verse one. It says this, the word of the Lord came to Micah of Moresheth in the days of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, which he saw concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. Now, did you catch the name Ahaz in there? This is the same Ahaz that we talked about last week. He's the king of Judah. So that means that Micah is living at the same time as Isaiah. So we have Isaiah who's prophesying. We have Micah who's receiving some of these prophecies. They're living at the same time, prophesying about the same things going on. And the history of Israel up to this point um, is this. They start off as one nation. It's Israel. The first king is Saul. Then we have King David, King Solomon, and then it splits into two kingdoms. We have the north, which is Israel, and the capital is Samaria. Then we have Judah in the south, and its capital is Jerusalem. So Ahaz is the king of Judah, the southern kingdom. And so, in Micah, if we if we were to read through the first three or four chapters, what we find is that he has this vision concerning both. Samaria in the north, and Jerusalem in the south. And basically, he says, you've fallen away from God. You're following these foreign idols. Why are you doing these things? Destruction is in your future. You will be destroyed because you're not following God. That's the first few chapters. But then he doesn't leave them there. He says, but there will be hope. There will be a reconciliation. And that's where our prophecy comes in. Micah chapter 5, starting in verse 1. And so he starts off talking to Jerusalem here. He says, now muster your troops, O daughter of troops. Siege is laid against us. This is Jerusalem here he's talking about. With the rod they strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. And then he launches into the prophecy, but you, O Bethlehem of Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth, and then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel and he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. And so he says, Bethlehem, you're, you're too little. You're not so great. I mean, 300 people. I know that um, I'm still learning some of the towns around here, but uh, every once in a while one gets mentioned. And I'll say, now where is that? And they'll say, oh, well, if you drive out this way and you blink, you're going to miss it. That's kind of Bethlehem. 300 people is not very many. And so people look at it and go, you know, nothing great is really going to come from there. What's what's the town where Sam Walton was born? Okay, Kingfisher. It's not very big. They got this big old sign, birthplace of Sam Walton. And here we have Bethlehem, this little town birthplace not only of king david but also somebody who will come forth later on jesus christ the messiah and so when it says from you will come forth a ruler from of old right now this time that that mike is living it's about 730 bc so 700 years before christ king david lived a thousand years So 300 years before this prophecy, King David was ruling Israel. 300 years have gone by, and the nation's been torn apart. There's been bad rulers, not following God. But from Bethlehem will come a ruler from of old, from the line of David. And that's his prophecy. So now launch back to uh, to Matthew, back to the future here as we're calling this series. And so he's writing, in Bethlehem of Judea, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people. This is the birth of Jesus Christ being foretold. And now what we have is King Herod. He's ruling this this land, but he's a different kind of king. See, he doesn't come from the bloodline of the kings of Israel. I mean, they had all this bickering and warring about who should rule here, and brothers against brothers, and they, you know, they would kill each other, and bad stuff happened. But King Herod was not even a Jew. He, he was not one of these people. But the Romans put him in charge. They put him in charge to fill a role, and so he gets the name King Herod, Herod the Great. And so when we read in, uh, in what verse was it here? Where he gets worried. Uh, da, 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 da. When King Herod heard this in verse 3, chapter 2, verse 3, he was troubled. Why was King Herod troubled? Because his kingship wasn't legit. He was, he was put in place by someone. And if somebody put him there, then somebody can take him away. And so when he hears that somebody was born king of the Jews, well, he doesn't like the sound of that. Because... Well, he likes being king. He likes ruling. He likes to be in charge. People have to listen to him. They pay him honor and tribute. And he likes that. And so he begins to worry, well, if somebody really was born king, then they're the rightful person to sit on my throne. And so he, he calls in the people that would know. Okay, so uh, tell me about this Messiah, I want to hear about this. I'm interested in it. For bad reasons. Tell me, where is he going to be born? And they know. They have read them, read the scriptures, the prophecies, and they say, in Bethlehem, in the land of Judah. That little town? Okay, well, here, come here, wise men. Tell you what, I, you know what, you're going to go worship him. You find him, okay? And then when you come back, tell me where, where he is so I can go and and worship him and chop his head off And he's devised this plan and so that the the wise men they're innocent bystanders they've come from a foreign land they don't really know what's going on but they're pretty important because they get to see the king and so they say okay that sounds good we'll let you know so that you can go and worship him as well they go and they fall before this child, Emmanuel, and they worship him. But then they get warned, do not go back to Herod. And we'll get into the rest of that story as another prophecy gets fulfilled later on. But here we have two extreme opposites. A new king is born. And how do these two opposites respond to that new king? First, you have King Herod who views it as a threat. This new king is after my throne, and I will not give it up. I've already gotten rid of half my family. What's one more stranger? I'll get rid of him, too, because I am going to rule my life. I am going to rule this land, and no one's going to take it away from me. I don't care if some prophecy was written a long time ago. I can take that life. He gets threatened by it. On the opposite side, you have these men who are from a foreign country. This, this king of the Jews isn't even going to be their king, and yet they travel to see him, and not a short distance. Now, I've ridden on a camel for five minutes. It was kind of fun and exciting for me as a kid gets you get there, and they, they stand up, and you feel like you're going to fall forward, and you're like, you're riding a camel. This is awesome. I, I, I get the idea that if you rode on a camel for several hundred miles, you might start getting this pain in your backside (laughs) and they travel to see this king who's not even their king but not only that they come to worship him and bring him gifts because they have come to honor him to worship him to respect him to bow at the feet of a king who's not even a teenager yet who's a child but they acknowledge his greatness Two extremes. And since that time, every single person that has lived has been offered that same choice. How are you going to respond to Jesus Christ, the Messiah, who is the King of kings, who is the Lord of lords, who is God incarnate, who's come down to save us? Will we respond like King Herod? and say no I like my life I am in charge of my life and and I get to make the decisions of what I'm gonna do in my life and no one can tell me different if I want to live my life a certain way I'm gonna do that especially here in America I got freedom it's my choice Are we gonna hold on to that life or are we gonna be like the magi that come and say the Messiah is King. And we lay our lives down. Everything that we have comes from Him. And we can hold it tight or we can lay it down. Now, we don't have real crowns, but we are, can be the King of our life. God has given us that choice. He says, You can follow me or you can choose not to. You are the King of your life. What will you do with that crown? Will you come and you, will you take it off and lay it at my feet? Or will you hold tight to that and do whatever you can to secure your kingdom? That's the choice that each one of us is presented with. How will we respond? Turn to Revelation chapter four, verse 10. Just one little verse right here. But I love, love, love the imagery that we have in it. In this passage, uh, we have 24 men that are called elders. Uh, John's been given this vision from God. And in it, we find this in verse... uh, Chapter four, verse nine, it says, and when the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fell down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. And they cast their crowns before the throne saying, worthy are you, O Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they existed. And we're created. Can we say that? Can we lay our crowns down at the feet of God and say, "You are worthy to be the King of my life"? I give my life to You and everything that is in it. And that's a decision that we make every day. It's one that we could make, probably make multiple times every day. You know, have I given my life to God? Okay, what does that look like? in my job, what does that look like in my family, to give my family to God and to raise them following God? What does that look like when I interact with those children that you have at work? What does that look like to be a man of God who must discipline them but lay my life down? What does that look like to work at a bank, to work at schools, to work in the medical field, when somebody comes in an emergency what does that look like to be a person that follows God and has laid down my life for one lady obviously that works at the bookstore when somebody comes in and purchases a Bible she prays with them that's awesome and so that's really the question I want to leave you with you know each one of us answers it in a completely different way But we must all lay our crowns down at the feet of Jesus. So that's my prayer for us. Uh, Let's close up in prayer. Father God, I I pray today that as we go into our life, whatever circumstance we find ourselves in, whether that's uh, as a student in high school or middle school, college, whether it's uh, as a teacher or one of the education, whether it's in the uh, police department, working for the city, working for a church, the military. God, I pray that in every aspect of our life we're able to to take off the crown that you've given to us. You've given us the option to be the, the king of our lives. But I pray that we're able to take that off and lay it at your feet and give every aspect of our life to you. May we not be like Herod that clutches that crown so tightly and is full of evil, but instead be like the Magi who Bowed and worshipped the child born, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Emmanuel. I pray this all in Jesus Christ, and all together we say, Amen. Let's stand together and let's sing.